the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, we're just going to lift one verse, but we'll be looking at many other portions of Scripture. Revelation chapter 4 and one verse, which is verse 11. This is part two of the absolute sovereignty of God. The absolute sovereignty of God, part two. Revelation 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this table we come around this morning, for the emblems that reminds us of your son's broken body, of his precious shed blood. We thank you, Father, that we are accepted in Christ. We thank you this morning that we're saved and we're sealed and we're secure in Christ. So this morning, Lord, we thank you for everyone here. We think of those who have been mentioned, Lord, who are sickly and unable to be here or those who are away. We pray, Lord, that those who are away, you would bless them and return them safely. And, oh God, that you would refresh them. And those who are sick among us, we pray for your hand to be upon them. And, Lord, that you would help them in every way. Father, we do ask you now for your spirit to move in our midst that we would understand the word of God, that you would bless thy word unto our hearts and glorify your own worthy and precious name. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. The absolute sovereignty of God. The cry of heaven is, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power For thou hast created, and for thy pleasure, all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Remember, we looked at those who throw their crowns down in the previous verse at the feet of the Master, of the Lord Jesus. Realizing that those crowns, the Stephanus, are those which are made up of man's achievement. And even our achievements are only through Christ. But to say here is my achievement, as it were, I'm unworthy of it. And every crown from every person, every Stephanos was thrown at the feet of Christ. In other words, you alone are worthy. You alone deserve the glory. And we looked last week at what is it that when we say we believe in the absolute sovereignty of God, and we looked at it, we're not read it again, maybe at the end of the studies. I'm going to have to do a few weeks because there's a few different areas that we want to look at. We'll maybe read it over again. But we believe in the absolute sovereignty of God that the scriptures tell us that there's none beside him, none like him, none above him, none will come after him, and that he alone is God and he does what he wills. Not what you will, not what I will, but what he wills. We're going to, God willing, look at that this morning at the absolute sovereignty of God in our salvation, in our redemption. You know, God made his covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and throughout, even the failures of them throughout, through Israel, right through to you and I today, we find God has kept his word, kept his covenants, and has kept his promises. And now all the 
the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. So what we want to look at, how everything, the sovereignty of God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is not only just fully man, but fully God. He's the son of God who died for us. And God willing, we'll look at that this morning also. So for example, last week we finished at Revelation 4 and 11 where it says, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We want to look at this word pleasure where we finished off last week. For example, the word pleasure here is a, a word thelema. Thelema. And it's the last mention of the word pleasure in scripture. The very last mention. And so the pleasure of God is his leisure. That's what no Puritan once said. God's pleasure is God's leisure. And God does everything in his own time as well because he's sovereign. God doesn't do it in our time and that's why we think God has forgotten or we think that God hasn't remembered or we think God is not going to answer or we think God has left us. But all things are done in the timing of God so none can move his timing. Everything is of him and that's all in his sovereign will. Now when we speak of this and we'll take another study on it but sovereignty of God in salvation and in our lives, it does not negate, it doesn't uh, do away with human responsibility. You're responsible, brother. You're responsible, sister. You're responsible with what you do with God gives you. And you're responsible how you work it, use it, and serve him with it and the worship he gets from it. And so when we look at the sovereignty of God, it means he's sovereign in all things, through all things, through time as we know it and eternity. And so it says in chapter 4 and 11, and for thy pleasure, for thy thalema, it means one's will, one's desire. Notice, one's will, one's desire, or at one's command. And so when we read it like this, it's, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure. In other words, he's saying, for through thy desire, according to thy will and at thy command, they are and were created. Not a big bang, not evolution, but created by the sovereign Lord God Almighty. Now, will you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, please? the book of Ephesians. And we want to look at Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to show you this word, thelema, or the word for pleasure in the uh, book of Ephesians, or in the first chapter anyhow, for time's sake. Galatians, or Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to mark it. There we go. Let's read from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, the good thing about that verse is it's written to the Christians at Ephesus, but it doesn't stop there. It isn't full stopping for no one else, but on to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So that's you and I. It comes right down through time to us, the faithful, to whoever will read it, the faithful in Christ. But if you notice the calling of Paul, 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. The word will there is the word thelema for pleasure. Take note, it's for the word pleasure. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. The same Greek word is for will. So it was God's pleasure to call Paul out of Judaism. It was God's pleasure to call him out of the Pharisaical religion. It was God's pleasure to save Paul on the road to Damascus. It was of God's doing. It was of God's sovereign will. I hope you can see that this morning. To save and to appoint him and to sanctify him was all of the will of God because he's sovereign in everything. Look at verse 2. We'll just read through quickly. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him. Note the words, according as he hath chosen us in him. God's choice in his sovereignty. Uh, The word here gives the idea of election. In Christ, notice, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, the term good pleasure is not the word thelema, as in uh, Revelation 4 and 11, and for thy pleasure they were created. They are and were created. The word here is not thelema for good pleasure. The word here is eudokia. So it's a different word. But do you see the little word in verse 5, the, to the, according to the good pleasure of his will. The word will is thelema. And so the good pleasure here is the sanctification, the good delight, and it gives the idea of the kindness with purpose. God knew you before you were born. God knew your life before you were born. I was reading this this morning, refreshing myself in it. And when I was doing that, I went through it and I couldn't get the grips of why God would love a filthy, rotten, guilty, vile, useless, hell-deserving sinner like me. Why would he love me? Why would he choose me? Why would he call me? Why would Christ die for me and shed his blood for me? And it just blows my mind every time I read this. It rejoices my spirit and my heart skipping. Because he knew me, yet he loved me. You know what this is telling me? Before there was a sinner on the earth in Adam, there was a savior in heaven, in Jesus, in Christ. And the idea here is, if we can see it, that it's his sovereignty. It's not you found Jesus. Christ came to seek you out. He came from heaven and sought us. And so when we look at this, brothers and sisters, this morning, 
The word will in verse 5 is thelema, and it gives the desire out of one's own heart. So God's goodwill was with kindness and purpose, or kindness with purpose, out of the goodwill of God's heart for us. That's how we are saved in Christ. And we find here that when we go on again in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now I notice he made us accepted in the beloved. Now the beloved here is not the church. Dear help us if we're waiting for everyone to accept us in the church. Isn't that true? The beloved here is Christ himself. And God the Father made us accepted in his son. He made us accepted. He didn't tell us choose to be accepted. He made us accepted. In other words, it's all of him. Our salvation is completely and totally of God. Notice what it says here. Wherein he hath made us accepted. See the word accepted if you're taking notes. Write it down. It's the word karisteho. Karisteho. And karis is the beginning where you'd hear karis, which is grace. Fitted into this word. Now take note, it means to endure with a special honor. God came to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Israel, right down through to you and I, and he endured us with grace and with special honor. It means you're highly favored in the eyes of God because you're his, you're his own. He knew you, he loved you, he gave his son for you, he shed his blood for you, who took your sin from you and he's risen again from the dead and he's in glory praying for you. Are you not encouraged this morning that this is all of him? Listen, see if I was saved every time I felt saved and lost every time I didn't feel saved. I'd be saved one minute and lost the next. Saved one minute and lost the next. And saved one minute and lost the next. We are saved in Christ because of who he is and what he has done and none or anything of ourselves. Let us just go on here. Verse 7, in whom? In Christ, in the beloved. We have redemption. We have redemption. How? What is it? Shout it out. Come on, let the devil hear you. Shout it again. Free his blood. Isn't it tremendous? I'm redeemed through his blood. Through his blood. Not through works or alms or deeds or good living or church going or denomination. Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Notice, having made known unto us the mystery. This is a mystery, isn't it? Notice, the mystery of his will. The word will is thelema. And for thy pleasure they are and were created 
the Thelema, his will. And through your will they are and were created. And again, we are saved through his will. Notice, he's made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. See the word according here. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Notice again in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And then in verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And then when we even go down to verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The word will is thelema, his own pleasure. God works all things out after his own counsel. God doesn't go and ask somebody what to think. God doesn't go and ask me. He doesn't go and ask Ronnie. He say, what do you think of this, Ronnie? Should I do this or should I do this or Billy or whatever? God doesn't go to some other God because there is no other God. He alone is God. And it's the counsel of his own pleasure, his own will, out of the desires of his own heart. What he wills, he does. And that which he does is always good. So note this. When you're reading according, according, now in verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him, is the word katanopion auto. Now, the word here gives the idea, kata means down, to press. Gives the idea of pressure, to press down. Okay? To press down. N is, means in. In. And of course we have up, which means to see. And put together, the word comes and means this. The idea of a penetrating gaze that sees down into a thing. So the first one in verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, it is that God in eternity looked through eternity, looked down into creation, looked into the planet earth, from planet earth to the garden of Eden, to the man Adam being fashioned and formed, to the sin of Adam, the fall of Adam, the death coming by sin. He looked right down through it. He seen his call of elect throughout the Bible, the family of Abraham right through, coming out to Christ and through the work of Christ, the life of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the blood atoning sacrifice of Christ, and the cleansing power of the blood. God looked down through it all like a piercing, pressurizing gaze out the other side, seeing you and I and knew us, and so we would be saved, and we are bound for eternity. That's what it means. So to think, to think, well, you know, People try think, I'll try this Jesus thing. Just don't bother. Just don't bother. Or, you know, 
I'll give it a wee go. Just don't bother. This isn't a Jesus thing. This is the absolute sovereignty of God on the soul and the spirit and the life of a man and a woman, awakening them from a state of death, causing them to behold the lamb who died. We don't believe that a man or a woman can be saved by any sort of works. The just shall live by faith. And so we don't believe in a man or woman can be saved by any sort of works. And that includes, and that includes even the work of your own heart to say, I choose him. The dead know nothing and they cannot choose a thing because they're dead. The quickening of the spirit of God, the regeneration is what happens to the man and woman. And that is all from the absolute sovereignty of God. I know some people don't like to talk about these things. They don't believe it because they say they believe in the sovereignty of God, but your will trumps the will of God. Think about it. They say your will can trump the will of God in salvation and your will can trump the will of God when God is putting something into the heart of a Christian to do something or to, or someone wants to, right now Jesus, heal this and do this and do that and all that sort of stuff. Listen, brothers and sisters, they think God comes into their will. No. His will should swallow up our will on every account. He is God and you're not. And I'm not. He's sovereign over all. Let me just go on a bit further here with this Thelema, if I may. Or rather, let's go to actually to the according. Look at the verse five, please. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, in other words, with the dominance. The word according is, it's not the big long word I told you, it's the word kata. It's part of it, the word I told you. Kata. Dominance, downward, or pressure, pressing. That's the idea of this word. And when we read it like this, it's, it is in verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure, according to the satisfaction, according to the delight of God with a kindness, with purpose, from his own desire, pleasure, and will. Sounds different now, doesn't it, when you get it into you? If God loved you when you were still in your sin and dead toward him and an enemy to God, Christian, we all fail, every single one of us. There's not one here who can say they're pure in their own strength. We are righteous in Christ. Absolutely we are. Absolutely 100% your father sees you without sin. But when we take it on a horizontal level, there's not one of us can say we're perfect on our own strength. 
And so some people think, God's fell out with me. God may chastise us if we continue walking in an open course of sin to bring us back into the way. God will take that in hand. Don't get me wrong. But you do the same with your children, or rather, you should do the same with your children. Chastisement was for the people of God. God doesn't chasten the wicked and the ungodly, but he chastens his own. And you might think, well, I've no way back to God. I've failed him again. Or Listen, brothers and sisters, there's always a way back to God. Get back to the blood. Go back to the cross. Repent of it. Plead the blood. Ask for mercy. And there you'll find strength again. And you'll know he still loves you. There's nothing you can do today to make you, to make God love you any less than that which he did in eternity. Do you know that? I don't understand it for me. Why would you do that, Lord? But I believe it because that's what the scriptures will tell us. Notice here in Ephesians 1, we have according to the riches of his grace in Verse 7, again, the pressure, the dominance of grace in our lives. Think about this. There's a dominance of grace in your life. Every time you're failing, every time you're floundering, every time you're faltering, there's a dominance of grace in your life. Now, we believe in living right, don't we? We believe in living right before God, doing our best to live right before God, striving to live according to the word and his commandments. We believe that. We don't believe you can live wrong and die right. We don't believe that you can go and do what you want and you can say what you want and treat others how you like and you cannot be in God's presence and you, you, and you can just do whatever you want. Because I would wonder if you were ever saved in the first place. But we do believe that God is always gracious and we are endued with a special honor because Christ has died for us. Not because of who we are. And it's all of the sovereignty of God. I better move quickly. Time's flying. So will you turn with me please again to Revelation chapter 4. So you see God in the sovereignty of God. In our redemption. In our salvation. You can see the sovereignty of God. So Revelation 4 and 11. Thou art worthy. O Lord. And I've done this back to front because I wanted you to see that God's pleasure is God's leisure, as it were. But I want you to see now to reverse back to the top of the verse, and it will make more sense when they're crying, Thou art worthy. My, my prayer, my hope is that we will all grasp this to realize that He alone is worthy as the sovereign Lord God Almighty. And he alone is worthy as our only blessed redeemer and hope. But he alone is worthy because from before the foundation of the earth, he knew us, he chose us, he elected us, and he came for us, he died for us, and he rose again for us, and he's coming again for us. So when we sing thou art worthy, we know why he's worthy. 
And even that mystery of his will or pleasure is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 1. We can only grasp hold of that which the Spirit of God, he shows us. And what he shows us is all that we can know. Revelation 4 and 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. See the word worthy. What does it mean? We think we know, well, oh, they're worthy. We get the idea of it, but if I asked everyone to come up here and all of a sudden say, what does worthy mean? What does worthy mean? Well, uh, it means, uh, um, and you'll try and think of a word, won't you? Try and think of an example. What does worthy mean? The word worthy here is the word axios. Axios. This simply gives the idea of a balance of scales. It means to weigh as much as the other. To weigh as much as the other. To merit as much or more. But keeping the balance level or more than the other. And it means to be in like value or greater. So when they're saying to Jesus, Thou art worthy, O Lord, when they're saying, You've created all these things and it's your pleasure, they're saying you're sovereign. Yes, but they're also saying this. When all things are weighed in the scales and balance, Lord. When we think of the sin of a man or of a woman, when we think of their lost estate, when we think of the death of Adam and us of Adam's race with Adam's genes, and we think of the the amount of multitudes of us, and if not one thing can happen for us to save ourselves, then total depravity is we cannot attain heaven. None of us are worthy, not one. But Lord, you came. But Lord, you died. But Lord, your blood has redeemed us. And when we weigh you, as it were, on the scale of worthiness of all of those whom Christ hath died for, When we weigh it on the scale, the scales are down with the lost and down with the dead and and sins and trespasses and the other scales up here. When we put Christ on it, it has to at least go like this and then like this. That's the idea. You outweigh and you are of more value than all the souls of men for thy blood has redeemed us. That's what it means. And the little line of the hymn, Redeeming Love, has been my theme. Shall be till I die. Will be echoed through eternity. Through, as it were, the courts and the halls of heaven and around the very earth that we live in. That Christ and Christ alone is worthy. What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world 
and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing can buy the soul of a man. Nothing for your redemption but the worthiness of this sovereign who came off, as it were, the throne in glory to step down and become like a span as a baby, a man, and then to die. That's who we worship. That's who we praise. That's who we adore. And his blood, his blood pays for your soul, for your soul and mine, for your redemption and salvation and mine. And hence on that day, we may throw our Stephanos down at the feet of Jesus. There is nothing in us, Lord, that is worthy. We throw the Stephanos down, as it were. That was one in the games that used to be. None of our human endeavors or achievements. We will throw our crowns down before him and say, you are the sovereign Lord God Almighty, for thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive the glory and the power. And then we will go on and we will sing these songs. For thou hast created all things. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and And power, for thou hast created. Hallelujah. Bless him. Thou hast. And for thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy. Oh, let's sing it again. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Sing it to him. Hallelujah. We're singing to you, Lord, this morning. Oh, Lord, to receive glory, glory and honor. Bless him. Worthy is the Lamb. For thou hast created, bless you, Lord. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they. 
for thou hast created. Sing it to him. For thou hast created, hast all things created. Thou, oh, we worship you. All things and for thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy. The Lord here is curious. Curious, sovereign it means. You are worthy, O sovereign. You are worthy, one with supremacy, complete control. For you have created all these things. You have done it, Lord. There's not one of us. Well, glory of ourselves in that day. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I've preached myself happy. Preached myself blessed. To think that my life, your life, my family, your family, no matter what, is all in his hands. What a blessing. I'll round this up. God willing, we'll do another part next Sunday morning. In Romans 8 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul puts the temporal on the scales with the eternal. He puts the physical, as it were, on with the spiritual. He puts the here and now on with the future. Romans 8 and 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. Notice, your sufferings at this present time, brother, your sufferings at this present time, sister, The word reckon gives the idea to get things to bring them from near and far, to bring them all together, to calculate and to add them up. That's what it means in the scripture here. So when I get all of the sufferings and the heartaches and the heartbreaks and the worries and the fears, and and listen, brothers and sisters, none of us want these things. But all of those sufferings, I gather them. Paul sits and adds them up as though he is on a calculator. And there is another one, there is another one. The suffering, the suffering, the sufferings. And Paul went through sufferings. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present times are not worthy. Here it is, the same word, axios. Like on an axle is where we get the word. Axle, like the scales In other words, we put all the sufferings on. 
And Lord, why and how and tell me and we don't understand, we don't know and we just can't work it out and our hearts are broken or mourning or whatever it is and the scales are way down here. But Paul says in eternity and in glory, the scales will tip. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So your best life now is not now. Your best life is yet to come. Here's where we'll finish, and here's where, God willing, we may start next week. When we're doing this in the sovereignty of God, I'm going to bring you into just little bits, but some Bible prophecy and a sovereign working out of it. Maybe not next week. I don't know how long this is going to go on for. I'm still just finding my feet with it. It's inexhaustible. In Psalm 115, verses 1 to 3, we'll stop around here, and then we'll start, God willing, around here next week. Psalm 115, and I think every preacher, well, worth his salt, will know the very beginning of this verse. When I first came into full-time ministry as a pastor, I was in full-time ministry as a, a missionary. We had a little church, but brought out as a full-time, as a pastor nearly 20 years ago. I was pastoring in Dublin, and this was one of the first scriptures I preached on that I can remember it was I preached on. pastor was going down with me every week while I was finding my feet, and then I was let loose. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us, but unto thy name. Notice, not us. Thy name. Give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is their God? But our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. God does what he pleases. And the human frame can't cope with that. There's many a times I can't cope with it. But what I have to do is I have to ask God to give me the grace, the strength, and the ability to yield my spirit, to yield my will, to surrender myself to him. When Alice and I went through a period of nothing but, we called it our season of death in the family, four and two in the same week. And then once shortly after and another shortly after, and it was a season of death. We didn't know what we were doing. There were families, our family was messed all over the place. And at times I'm going, Lord, I know you're sovereign, but I don't understand this. And I can't get the grips with this. I remember it was hard. I know I would never want to go through it again, but also I was taught in it, learned in it, strengthened by the Lord through it. And I grew up in it, matured in it. What the devil meant for evil God always works it out for the good. 
You may say, devil, do you see what you're meaning for evil in my life? Old devil, the old sly and subtle sucky foot, you know? Do you see what you mean for evil in my home, my family, my life, or my walk with Christ, or whatever? You can try your best. You can do your hardest. You can throw everything at me, but my father will say thus far and no further. He is still on the throne. And you may mean it for evil, but God will work it for the good. He hath done whatsoever he pleased. The word pleased changes here to the word kafetz. Kafetz. And it simply means to delight in again, to take pleasure. God does whatsoever he delights in. Oh, well, that's a megalomaniac, you know. Very self-centered. Listen, he's God. He can be. And even the scripture says, who are you and I to say, why am I thus? So, what does he delight in? Tell you what we'll look at beginning of next week, God willing. He delights and takes pleasure in the death of his son. And you think that he's an unfair, or some think, pardon me, maybe you not, that he's an unfair God. He's not fair. Oh, he's a megalomaniac and he's self-centered and he's all of this, people say, and they try and make excuse why not to follow him as it were. Brothers and sisters, listen. If he's all of that, he gave his only begotten son. He gave the darling of his bosom, the apple of his eye. He gave Christ. And now we can ask, well, who now is self-centered, egotistical, megalomaniac sort of a God? Who? For God gave his son for you. my two girls are my life one of three girls count my wife but my life and I'll be honest I don't think I would give them for anybody I'd do whatever I could for people but I wouldn't give my girls thank God we don't have to he is the absolute sovereign God. Team, would you come up, please? Thank you for your attention this morning. See this evening why they're coming up. You know, also and I were away. We went, we went on Wednesday afternoon. We're back on Friday afternoon. We were away just for the two days and we came back. But when we were away... The Lord dropped the wee scripture into my heart. Started writing it yesterday. Do you know, as a man comes to the Lord and he says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. 
And the Lord replies to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I've preached on that before. But he showed me in that something that's happening in our nation today. The indifference of man. The indifference now in the church and the danger that's around us and within us. God willing, the Lord helping me, I'll be bringing that this evening.